Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. 26 people gunned down in Texas, but this is not an act of terror because a white man did it, not a Muslim. And it's not about guns, says Donald Trump, even though it was an assault rifle that killed them all. A man with an assault rifle that killed them all. Here we go again. Hello, everybody. What do you say? With that uh, sad note, we start this week off. It is Monday, Monday, November 6th. Good to see you today. On the Bill Press Show, coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, with all the news of the day, not just uh, that tragic shooting down in uh, Sutherland Springs, Texas, um, but a big political week with uh, governor's races tomorrow in Virginia and New Jersey, a very, very important state Senate race out in Washington State and other races around the country that we've got our eyes on. Donna Brazil shaking the political scene up by saying uh, that when she saw Hillary faint, she immediately started thinking about Plan B, which was dumping Hillary and putting in who? Joe Biden and Cory Booker, as if she had the authority to do that. Uh, And believe it or not, the Trump White House has released a report Uh, on the part of 13 government agencies saying climate change is very serious. It's caused by human activity, and we should do something about it. This was not left over from the Obama administration. This is the Trump administration. I guess nobody told Donald Trump yet. Oh, man, you see, we got lots to talk about, lots you are going to want to comment on. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Good to have you with us. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Yesterday was the New York City Marathon. How about it? How about this? For the first time in four decades, an American woman was the winner. Shalene Flanagan won at 2 hours, 26 minutes, 53 seconds. She's 36 years old, and she beat the three-time defending champion, Mary Caitney, from Kenya. Beat her by a full minute. How about that? That time is incredible. Dude, that's yeah. insane. It is, yeah. 
That's right. insane. Faster than I've ever run the marathon. <laughs> well, I had like a friend who ran a marathon. 15 hours would be faster than I've yeah. run the marathon. I had a friend who ran a marathon over the weekend, and he was like, all I really want to do is finish at like four and a half hours. Mm-hmm. She ran it in two hours, 26 minutes, 53 seconds. No. Totally. It's unbelievable. Incredible. Good for her. And bringing it back to the U.S. It's the first time we've won. 40 years. And a woman has ever won. Yeah. Yeah. So, But what's interesting, I mean, if you look at her time. like Not her be nativist about it. Her, well, we can be a little bit about it. Yeah. But, like, her times at the end, her last couple of miles were faster than the men's finisher. Right? Like, she was running faster at the end than the men were. It's remarkable. It's pretty yep. remarkable. Good for her. Great. It, it's Monday. Let's go to the box office. How did the movies do? The number one movie in America is Thor Ragnarok. Brought in $121 million. It also set a record in China. Uh, a uh, record debut opening there in China. Number two here in America was A Bad Mom's Christmas. Only brought in $17 million, which is a... Well, it's not Christmas yet. Distant second. No. It's pretty... Did you see Thor? I did see Thor. I saw it last week. Was it week. good? It was very, very good. Hmm. It was very, very good. I'd like good. to see it. Not it's... on my list. No, I don't think it's a movie you're going to oh, You're not going to go to the IMAX and put on the 3D glasses, Bill, and get, do the whole list. experience? I mean, it's a pretty pathetic time out there for movies right now, to tell the truth. I didn't see I think superhero movies compelling. are uh, bulletproof, though. Yeah, I mean, the, these superhero movies are just going to continue to print money. No, that's what they're making money on, sure. Yeah. But yeah, in yeah. terms of putting out good movies... There's not a lot of stuff out there. That's, that's no. fair. Well, Oscar season's around the corner. Yeah. Here it comes. Yeah, they, better, they better get started. By the way, I, I, as much as... summer, they had a disastrous summer. As much as, I enjoyed, as much as I enjoyed Thor, I don't think it's going to be up for any Oscars. Oh. <laughs> Special effects, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> On TV and online, this is the Bill Press Show. Yep, here we are again, uh, barely a month after Las Vegas, 57 shot and killed, uh, 26 shot and killed yesterday in the little town of Sutherland Springs, Texas. Good morning, everybody. It is a Monday, Monday, November 6th. We're dealing again with mass murder. We're dealing again with denial about what caused it and what it really is all about. We'll dive right into that as our first story today. But first, let me just say it's good to see you. Hope you had a great weekend. Enjoyed some uh, good football. Baseball was over, of course, but uh, well into football season. And uh, a lot of parents about there running around the soccer fields, I'm sure, over the weekend. <laughs> Our granddaughter, Prairie, her team won the championship in West hey, Marin right. yesterday, so we were we were celebrating that. Uh, it's great to see you today, wherever you happen to be in the United States of America. We are there with you as your progressive voice in the morning. Coming to you live on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, where you can also catch our podcast in the afternoon or in the morning, anytime, uh, at uh, BillPressShow.com. We're looking at you on Free Speech TV, how about it, and uh, joining you out in Chicago, the greater Chicago area, on the great WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago, and in Indianapolis or Indiana, 
on Indiana. Indiana Talks. Indiana Talks. Sorry, a little brain fart there. Uh, good to join you. Uh, and how about uh, our podcast? I mentioned that. And uh, Patreon. Patreon going strong with our new Bernie series, Peter. We put up a new episode on Friday. It's Larry Cohen uh, oh, and man. Michael Briggs. So the two of them together, both of them talk about Larry Cohen was uh, one of the first labor leaders to come, or the first labor leader to come out and endorse Bernie Sanders in the primary. We talk about why he did that. And then we talk to Michael Briggs, former communications director for Bernie Sanders, about sort of his time in the Senate, what some of his trademark legislation was. We talked a little bit about the Phil of Bernie uh, mm-hmm. and also some of uh, Bernie's friends in the Senate, who he likes and who he got along with and things like that. It's all up uh, right now. We've got a couple episodes still coming, so you want to sign up now, patreon.com slash BP show. All right. Yes, indeed. Yes, uh, let's start the facts as we have learned them uh, from this tiny little town, Sutherland Springs. Uh, the one count I saw, 362 people. I mean, it was basically it's a, small a crossroads, town. right? It's a small town. I mean, there's no traffic I mean, light. Literally, there's no, no traffic no light. No traffic light. Gas station and a little Baptist church and a few homes and, you know, maybe a little grocery store. That's it. That's smaller than the town Delaware City where I grew up. It's just 1,200 people. Uh, and uh, this uh, crazed gunman, uh, 26-year-old Devin Kelly with a Ruger AR-15 assault rifle, uh, stops at the gas station, drives across the street, uh, walks up to the church, starts firing at the church from outside, and then uh, kills a couple of people out who are outside the church, walks inside and fires away, uh, ending up with 26 killed. He then fled the scene, chased by a neighbor uh, who also had a rifle, uh, and uh, he was found dead in his car a couple of miles away. They're still not sure how he died, but he left 26 people behind, including... Uh, as young as a four-year-old and as old as a 72-year-old, worshipers at that church. Uh, a man, by the way, who was able to buy this assault rifle, even though this assault rifle, which would was covered, would have been illegal to buy under the assault weapons ban, which, of course, expired in 2004, and George W. Bush refused to uh, continue Uh, that wasn't a legal weapon at the time, no longer. He was able to buy it even though he had been convicted of domestic assault, convicted, convicted of assaulting his wife and child. Uh, And even under Texas law, it's illegal for someone who has been convicted of domestic assault to buy an assault rifle. But, of course, it just shows you how, uh, how unenforced today's weak gun laws, as weak as they are, are uh, not even enforced, not even in Texas. It is the worst mass shooting in the history of Texas. It is the worst church mass shooting ever. And it is the fourth worst mass shooting in American history after uh, Las Vegas, Orlando, Virginia Tech, and now Sutherland Springs, Texas. When are we going to learn? Uh, But uh, from Texas, of course... Uh, all Donald Trump says is uh, thoughts and prayers. That's all we got, baby. Thoughts and prayers. Our thoughts and prayers are with the victims and families of today's horrible and murderous attack. Yeah. How about some action? How about some action about these weapons of war? Oh, no, no, no. Uh Uh-uh. 
This the, isn't a no, no. guns no. situation. Nothing I mean, we could go guns. into it, but it's a little bit soon to go into Oh, a little too soon. A gun situation. No, a not gun a gun situation. situation. Yeah, a little too soon to talk about it. Just like a little too soon after Las Vegas to talk about guns. Yeah. How about a month later? Are we talking about it still? Uh, no, never, never, never with this president who's owned by the NRA. Instead, uh, this is a uh, mental health problem, says Donald Trump. Mental health is your yep. problem here. This yeah. was a very, based on preliminary reports, very deranged individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Donald Trump, for getting right to the heart of it. It's also your problem, not his. It's right. your problem. Mental health is your problem here. Yeah. Your problem. Your problem here. Right. And noticed, uh, notice uh, nothing about this being an act of terrorism, uh, nothing about this, uh, this man being a terrorist, uh, because... Let's face it. He's a white man. He's not a Muslim. So they they will never he, and the, the the media will never use the word terrorism, which is what this is. This is an act of domestic terrorism, committed by a terrorist with a weapon of war. He never should be allowed to buy in this country. When are we going to come to our senses? How you just wonder how many is it going to take? I, look, I don't know what it's going to take. You know, you I mean, think? we've seen the we've seen the five. Sandy Hook was it? I thought if it didn't happen after Sandy Hook, I still think of that. I mean, I, I still think that that was the moment that we had to to really do, make some changes here in this country, and we didn't. And if you can't get it done after that, what is it going to take? You would I mean, look then, at Las Vegas. You would think Vegas, a country western concert. Yeah, right? I mean, in, in 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 the last two years we've seen the two i mean every year we have the next deadliest mass shooting in this country's history right like last year we had the pulse nightclub this year we had las vegas next year who knows yeah but my point is it's only getting worse it is only getting worse and the more we live in denial the more scenes like this we're going to see and by the way there's another thing uh myth shattered here right this only happens in the big cities yeah, right. Yeah, only happens in New York, only happens in Vegas. Yeah, yeah, of course, I, get, I come back to eight people get killed in New York, which was a tragedy in and of itself, right? That's terrorism, act of terrorism. Terrorism strikes the United States. 26 people get killed in Texas. Oh, no, this is just a, just a little church, just a little church shooting, nothing to do with guns, nothing to do with terrorism. Yeah, tell me that was not an act of terrorism for those people who were sitting in that church when the gunman walks in, right? Um, so, uh, the idea that this only happens in the big cities, yeah, Sutherland Springs, Texas, 326 people, you can't get smaller town than that, right? And, uh, and so it just shows that the accessibility, the availability, the easy accessibility of these weapons of war, these assault weapons, is a scourge that plagues our entire country, north, south, east, west, Big town, big cities, small towns, everywhere. Nowhere. If the first Baptist church in Sutherland Springs, Texas, is not safe, nowhere is safe. And nowhere. I don't want to make an obvious point that everybody else has made, but at this time, when guys like Paul Ryan and every other politician who has lobbied and fought to keep gun laws as unregulated as they are, a lot of them yesterday tweeted out thoughts and prayers. Oh yeah, I don't want to hear thoughts. They and prayers. were in a house of prayer. They were. They were. They yeah. were at church. Yeah. Right. So, mm-hmm. thoughts and prayers clearly are 
good and helpful in this situation to help people feel better, but they certainly don't stop gun violence. Uh, will we see any action? There were some calls for that yesterday, but even the Democrats are chicken on this issue. They won't raise it. They're just afraid of their political skin. I don't know why, because most of the American people are stand behind sensible gun safety legislation, ban the assault, bring back that ban on assault weapons, put the uh, background checks in there, even at gun sales. Uh, at least start with those two common sense measures and maybe ban the bumps. Uh, yeah, not maybe, but ban the bump stocks while you're at it as well, which were used in Las Vegas. Those three things, you would think 97% of the American people would approve those three things. Yeah. But Congress won't act because they don't have any guts. Uh, on another front, um, you thought the uh, <coughs> uh, Russian investigation was uh, over with the indictments uh, of uh, Paul Manafort and um, his associate, uh, Ken Gates, uh, and the guilty plea on the part of George Papadopoulos. Oh, no, 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 no. The Wall Street Journal reporting over the weekend uh, that uh, Robert Mueller's next target, and apparently, according to the Wall Street Journal, uh, they have gathered enough evidence to nail him, uh, nail them, <laughs> uh, happened to be Michael Flynn, former national security advisor of the president of the United States and his son, who is, I think, Michael Flynn Jr., right? Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, again, according to the Wall Street Journal, uh, they may have more goods on um, Michael Flynn Jr., than on his daddy, but they both of them uh, allegedly uh, will find out more when the indictments come and how soon they come, we don't know, but they are pending uh, that both of them having extensive contacts with the Russians, trying to make deals with them, and then lying about it uh, to the, we know they lied to the, pre to the vice president, maybe to the president, to the American people, and also to the FBI, which is really where they get in trouble. Um, the Wa Wa Washington Post today, by the way, now says, uh, front page story, that there is a total of nine people that they've identified who were working for Donald Trump at the time, nine, who were having meetings with the Russians, Yeah, uh, talking to the Russians, even though Donald Trump insists there was no, there were no contacts that Pardon me, he has said repeatedly, nobody around him, nobody, not one person around him had any contact at all with the Russians. Yeah, count them, nine, according to the Washington Post. Uh, and Trump, even as he's walking out of the White House to go on this big Asian trip, uh, he still uh, pretends that nothing, nothing uh, happened. Uh, as for George Papadopoulos and where he's, where they tried to say this guy was a low-level guy, Oh, that big that picture has come out with Papadopoulos sitting two people away from Donald Trump at the table where they're discussing national security. How can you say you never saw this guy? Donald Trump says, basically, George who? I don't remember much about that meeting. It was <laughs> a very unimportant meeting. took place a long time. Don't remember much about it. Mm -mm, mm -mm, nope. Mm -mm, yeah. And what what is Mueller up to? Obviously, he keeps saying, you know, there's nothing there. There's nothing. It's a big nothing burger. No collusion. No. All I can tell you is this. There was no collusion. There was no nothing. It's a disgrace, frankly, that they continue.
A disgrace that they continue. <laughs> what do you mean? They already got Manafort. They already got Gates. They already got Papadopoulos. They're going to get Michael Flynn and Michael Flynn. That's five. And that, that's just getting started. What do you mean there's nothing there? Yeah. And instead, Donald Trump says, well, I love this. They're pursuing the wrong target. I'm really not involved with the Justice Department. I'd like to let it run itself. But honestly, they should be looking at the Democrats. They should be looking <laughs> yeah. at Podesta and all of that dishonesty. Yeah, they should be looking at the, at the uh, what the Democrats are doing. All right, you know, the, the, there's something to be said about Donald Trump and his total lack of knowledge about how the law works. There, there was some reporting done. There was some reporting done over no, the weekend. That, I am yeah, the law. Well, that, well, like there was some reporting done over the weekend that like he thought yeah. that he could yeah. direct these right. agencies to do. Whatever he wanted them to do. So if he wanted, you know, the DNC and the Hillary Clinton thing to be investigated, that he could direct them to do that, which is not how it works. That's not how it works. That is an authoritarian government, and we do have some pl- things in place to keep that from happening. Well, the Podesta. Sto- Podesta. <laughs> Podesta. The sto- yeah, look at Podesta. The uh- <laughs> Popolopolis. <laughs> Oh, you missed that one, on Private Bill. No. Sorry, uh, Del Franken. The uh, <laughs> the story I, I read that same story. The, the account is of a meeting that Donald Trump was having with some Native Americans, uh, and they were um, complaining about the fact that they couldn't. There were certain Native lands, sacred lands, that they could not mine or do drilling on. And um, because of existing law and or regulations, certainly. And Donald Trump told them, no, just do it. I'm telling you, you can do it. So just go do it. And he's and, and they just they just kind of looked around at the lawyers in the room. And Donald Trump said, you don't understand. You don't you maybe you're not hearing me. Uh, I'm t- I'm t- I'm the president of the United States. I'm telling you just let's say it's coal, right? Just mine is coal. He, and he said, what are they going to do after you do it? Tell you to put it back in the ground? Oh, my God. And <laughs> the Native American leaders are incredulous because this is the president of the United States telling them to break the law yeah. as if he, the president, has that authority. No. And the same thing here when he talks about But this idea of going to the DNC, let's get to the DNC because – uh, I was out there on CNN yesterday when the news, or Saturday, when the news broke about Donna Brazil's second big revelation. Let's start with the first one. The first one we know in her book, Hacks, Hacked, which comes out, I think it's Hacks, actually. Hacks, yeah. Which comes out tomorrow, uh, but excerpts have been uh, <laughs> deliciously leaked by the publisher uh, to drive up the sales. Uh, the, her first um, little bombshell was... Uh, that she looked went to, to the DNC uh, with rumors after Debbie Wasserman Schultz had fired, uh, with rumors that uh, the DNC had uh, basically made a deal and sold itself out to the Hillary campaign, which <laughs> during the primary, if you recall, Martin O'Malley, Bernie Sanders made that argument over and over again. Nobody would listen to them. I made that argument every day on CNN as a Bernie Sanders supporter. Nobody would listen to me. They just ridiculed us. So Donna Donna Brazil gets there as the acting DNC chair, and she says, I'm going to look into this. She did. Uh, She dug, 
and she found evidence that, in fact, Bernie Martin O'Malley and I and others were right. The DNC had made a deal with the Hillary Clinton campaign whereby uh, the money that uh, the Hillary would help them raise money for the DNC and give them a certain amount of money every month, like a little allowance every month, in return for control of the DNC, who was hired and what the press releases were, when the debates were scheduled, how many debates were scheduled, they took over the DNC. It was a rigged uh, process, done, a deal, dirty deal between the DNC and the Hillary Clinton campaign. Bernie was right. Donna was right about that. And I got to tell you, it's small consolation, but a little consolation for everybody to know now that we were right about this. Yeah. And it was pretty clear. By the way, so did Obama rig it for Hillary. I, you, you heard me say that at the time. Four cabinet members endorsed Hillary Clinton. You can't tell me Obama was neutral in that, in that, in that primary. Um, so, and by the way, the law, the rules, and I'm a former state Democratic chair of California. For a state chair or for the national chair... The state party or the national party, the rules are you do not take sides in a primary. It doesn't matter what clown is running against what other Democrat, you stay out of a primary. They were the rules of the DNC. Debbie Wasserman Schultz, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama broke them. We talked about this a little bit on Friday, and then after the show, this story came out where Hillary's people sort of leaked a memo that said, well, everybody had this deal, but if you look at it, if you really look at the at yep. the yep. what what Hillary Clinton, what the memo says about Hillary yep. Clinton, it says the quoting directly from this memo: the DNC will provide HFA Hillary for America advance opportunity to review online or mass email communications that feature a particular Democratic primary candidate. So they do have communication; they do have yep. control over the communication mentioning a primary candidate. Yeah, that so, but just, just, that's very important for all of you to know because you're going to hear the Clintonistas still say, "Oh, Bernie signed the same deal." No, he did not. They both signed an agreement saying they would help the DNC raise money. But on top of that, Hillary signed a separate deal with the DNC, agreeing to raise X amount of money uh, or uh, get X percentage of, of money in return for control of the DNC. Bernie Sanders did not have that deal. This is strictly a Hillary DNC deal. And by the way, just to show you how much how advantageous it was, if you're an a individual donor, you can give $2,700 to the Hillary Clinton campaign, right? Could have. You're allowed to give 350, let me get that exact number, $354,000 to the Victory Fund. So the difference between 2700 and 354000 is what people could give to the DNC Victory Fund. That money was allegedly to help the states in the general election. One half of 1% of that money stayed with the states. All the rest of it went to the DNC and was funneled, laundered, shall we use the word, mm. to the Hillary campaign. Uh, then, then the news broke that uh, the second bombshell of, of Donna Brazil's that when Hillary fainted on September 11, 2016, as she was leaving uh, the ground, ground zero in New York, you all, we all remember that scene where they grabbed her as she was as falling as she's getting into her car. Uh, Donna Brazil said, I had to come up with a plan B. She said that on ABC News yesterday. I had to come up with a plan B. And plan B was, I'll dump, I'll dump Hillary and give it to Joe Biden. 
I had to uh, put it on the table because I was under tremendous pressure uh, after uh, Secretary Clinton fainted to have a quote-unquote plan B. I didn't want a plan B. Plan A was great for me. I supported Hillary, and I wanted her to win, but uh, we were under pressure. Now, I got to say, and Donna's a good friend, as right as she is about the first one, meaning the DNC and Hillary rigged the process, she is dead wrong about this one. First of all, she may be national chair, acting temporary chair or whatever, but she was chair of the DNC. She does not have the authority to dump the nominees. Uh, yeah, I actually had that. I wanted to ask you that question. No. Is that something that she can do? No, no, no. The DNC. Now, let's say Hillary got hit by a truck, right? Sure. And died, right? Sure. Whatever. Well, you don't have to put the dead person up. Right, 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 right. right. But the DNC, which elects the nominee at the convention, would have to reconvene and choose another nominee. The chair would certainly play a role, would recommend maybe, but could also not dictate. You've got to come here and approve my choice of... Elizabeth Warren or yeah. anybody, right, to do it. No, the, the chair does not have that authority under under the rules. And um, and secondly, a point I made on CNN Saturday is, what the hell? Why Joe Biden? Joe Biden wasn't even, a, I love him, but he wasn't even a candidate. He didn't have the guts to run. He, he didn't get, Bernie Sanders got 1,888 delegates in Philadelphia. Joe Biden got none, <laughs> none, okay? Now, why would she turn to Joe Biden? Oh, he's vice president, but he wasn't out there campaigning. And Bernie Sanders is the most popular politician in the country. And then Joe Biden, she said, and Cory Booker. Cory Booker, Mr. Goldman Sachs, really? I mean, <laughs> you know, Cory Booker's running for president this time. Well, lots of luck. I don't think he's going to make it just because of his Goldman Sachs background. He's a good man. I don't mean to dump on him. But still, <laughs> pushed push Hillary and Tim Kaine out and put in Joe Biden. And I mean, that's that's insane. Insane. So, uh, Donna, that may have been your uh, your uh, thinking, but you were uh, <clears throat> you were way off, way off on 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 that one. Um, so that little uh, uh, and, and we'll, we'll be talking to Kyle Kondik from uh, the University of Virginia's um, Center for, Center for Politics coming yeah. up in the next half hour. Uh, one question is how how that little story about the DNC may impact the big races uh, that we're going to see tomorrow in Virginia and in New Jersey, uh, as well as other races around the country. Um, I don't think we'll have much impact at all. We'll get that word from uh, Kyle Kondik uh, coming up next. Uh, you know, Peter, there's just one other little story. Yeah. That i got to get out there. Let's do it. Uh, this caught my attention in the New York Times. <laughs> You want to know about, so we're going to cut taxes for all these big corporations, right? Because they're having such a hard time, right? Oh, yeah, man. Uh, just this, this story to me just sums up the greed and the waste of America's big corporations today, who are, let's face it, let's remember, making record profits for all time, and the CEOs are getting more money than they ever did before, and all the banks and the hedge fund managers and the big corporations. So- GE, Jeffrey oh, yeah. Immelt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, maybe we you talked, talked about, about this, this. Friday. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. Don't you love it? Uh, they had uh, not not only did Jeff Immelt have his own corporate jet that would take him anywhere in the world he wanted to go, but they had a second jet, the follow-up jet, empty 
with the except for the pilot and the co-pilot, that would follow the first one anywhere they went, oh. just in case yeah. they had a flat tire or something, yeah. you know? Yeah. You got to make sure you had that backup private jet That's following right. you around at all times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They don't even do that with Air Force One. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just that whole story to me just reeks of, as I say, greed and waste and inefficiency. And these are the people that the Republicans in Congress think are the most important people on the face of the earth and need a tax cut so badly that they're busting their balls to get one done before Thanksgiving in the House and before Christmas in the Senate. Think about that. fat, greedy bastards. They're the ones we have to help out. Think about that next time Paul Ryan goes up and talks about why this is so important and why we have to yeah, uh, yeah. get this tax Yeah, because we've got to keep that second jet in the air, baby. Because, yeah, think about I mean, I mean, just imagine the horror of having to fly on one personal private jet and not have a backup. Can you imagine the pain that these people are suffering? Mm-mm. Every time I fly United, I want to know there's an empty plane <laughs> following us just in case we have to make an emergency stop or something. That's right. We've got nothing yeah. to get on. Oh, man. What a lineup of guests. Great great lineup today. Kyle Kondek, as I mentioned, from University of Virginia Center for Politics, coming up next. And then uh, Addie Baird from Think Progress and Ilana Shore from Politico rounding out the day here. Getting a big start, jump start on this uh, new week on a Monday, November 6th. For those who are telling me to shut up, they told Hillary that a couple of months ago. You know what I tell them? Go to hell. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. All right, on a Monday, November 6th, The Bill Press Show live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. Here in the heart of the action uh, on Capitol Hill is where you find us, nestled in our studio just up the street from the Capitol building and uh, reaching out to you all across this great land of ours. Brought to you today by the good men and women of the United Food and Commercial Workers Union. Uh, the great uh, members of the UFCW under President Mark Perone. Uh, they're the people that uh, work in all of our great retail chains and put food on your table. We salute them, thank them for the support of the program, and uh, suggest that you check out their great work at ufcw.org. Uh, and uh, next time uh, you go to Safeway, you know, hug a clerk or a checker out or something like that, or a bagger, and thank them for, for all the good work they're doing. Kyle Kondek uh, is the managing editor of uh, Larry Sabato's Crystal Ball down at the University of Virginia Center for Politics. Nobody knows the political scene better than Kyle and joins us in studio. Thank you for being here again, sir. Thanks for having me, Bill. Good to see you. Um, Before we jump into politics of the day, uh, uh, we talked a lot about goings on in the news in this first uh, half hour. And Jamie's got... uh, some listeners who want to sound off, Jamie? Com- comments on Twitter and in the YouTube chat room. We'll start on Twitter. We're on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Hypocrisy Hunter on Twitter, Twitter uh, reacting to our uh, story at the top there with the Texas shooting. The GOP refuses to consider that maybe God's answer to our prayers is common sense gun safety laws. <laughs> right. They worship the NRA. So that is on that topic. But, of course, we spent quite... A lot of time on the Donna Brazil DNC, DNC revelations. Mama 
Allison <laughs> says, I seldom disagree with BP show, but I'm pretty sure Joe Biden had has the guts to run. I'm sure Bernie would agree Joe doesn't lack courage. Uh, that's a fair comment. Maybe I should not have said he didn't have the guts to run. But the fact is, he did not run. There you go. All there right. A whole complex of reasons, one of them being Barack Obama talked him out of it, uh, in my judgment. But he did not run. He was not a candidate. In my mind, Bernie should have gotten a nod. Were there ever one? Not Joe. One more comment from the YouTube chat room. It's a lively discussion in the YouTube chat room every morning. <laughs> YouTube.com backslash the Bill Press Show. Blair says... I don't like when people act as if Obama had to run the DNC while trying to run the country. Do we sit around and make every other former president the head of their party to manage every day? Yes. Yeah. Yes. We do. Yes. <laughs> that happens to be a fact. The president <laughs> is the head of the party. And Barack Obama ignored the Democratic Party and left it in total disarray uh, on many fronts. The... Um, DNC, $24 million in debt. Um, the United States Senate flipping from Democrat to Republican. The House, the same. We lost 20, I think, governors, governorships and 1,000 state legislative races. That is Barack Obama's legacy. Well, you know, just one other Kyle. thing is that, and you, Bill, you know this much better than I do, but um, historically, you know, the, the, the president you know, picks the DNC chair effectively. It's at least how I understand yes. it. And that when you do have a sitting president, the, the DNC is effectively a, I mean, I, I think should be, is the, the, the political arm of the president in, in, in yes. a way. Yes. Uh, and I, I mean, I think the RNC is that way with Trump. Yes. Now. I mean, Ronna Romney McDaniel yeah. is, is a, totally. is a Trump person. Totally. Um, rightly yeah. or wrongly, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think the, I think you're right to say that, that the president probably didn't neglect the DNC and, you know, they were complaining about Debbie Wasserman Schultz for years and yet she just kept the job, you know, the whole time uh, until, you know, what Donna Brazil was brought in, brought in right at, you know, at the end for the, for the general election period. But, he um, was. Uh, he, I think. It, I think it's a fair criticism. Anyway, uh, uh, he was. Many, many, many people encouraged him to, uh, urged him to fire her, uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz years ago. And the point is, it would have been. It basically is his decision. Yes. I mean, you could say, oh, the yep. DNC, you know, whatever. But if the president wants her out, she she would have been out. Uh, it's sort of an inside story, but the time to be national chair of either party is when your party does not control the White House. That's absolutely right. Because then you are a big deal. Well, and then particularly if you're the party chair, when you win the White House, mm, then you yeah. then you go out yeah. and speaking racket. Uh, <laughs> no, exactly. You know? But if your party chair, when your party is in the White House and the president is the head of the party, basically you are the political director for the White House. That's right. That, that's yeah. the way it works. Yes. Um, so whoever sent that note, that happens to be the way it works. Kyle, good to see you. All good right. to see you, too. All right. God, we are so breathless waiting for tomorrow. Tell us what's going to happen in Virginia. Uh, so we've got two big governor's races, New Jersey and Virginia. Uh, in Virginia, I think that Ralph Northam, the state lieutenant governor, Democrat, has been sort of a soft favorite the whole time. I think he remains a soft favorite. I would not be shocked or even that surprised if we woke up on Wednesday morning and Eddie Gillespie was the governor-elect. But I think all the data and sort of the fundamentals kind of suggest that uh, Northam has been a small favorite, and I think continues to be a small what favorite. Small, you're saying favorite. Well, I mean, or if you look, if favorite, you look at not not going to be a landslide. Yeah, I don't think so. Although but you the, do think he'll win. Yeah, I I do. Um, 
Uh, I, again, I'd, I'd rather be Northam than Gillespie at this point. You know, we've had a flood of polls here at the end. They were kind of lousy for Northam as of Friday, although some of the pollsters were either basically Republican firms or, or firms that sort of have sort of identified with, with having a Republican lean. More recently, they're, including this morning, there have been other polls that are nonpartisan, a couple of ones that are maybe more Democratic, uh, that have shown Northam doing a little bit better. You know, I think his, his lead is probably, it's, it's, I don't know what the average says at this precise moment, just because there have been polls coming out yeah, a lot. Yeah. But it's probably like three points or something, and you know that's that's sort of where I think internal polls have had it on both sides. I mean, I mean the Republicans obviously had Gillespie sort of more like a tie. Democrats had it more like you know Northam up by three, four, five points. So you know when you're up by that amount, it's not like it you know you, you can feel super confident. However, uh, you know one of the big questions in this race is that. In Virginia in 2013 and 2014, Democrats won uh, the governorship with Terry McAuliffe in, in 13. Mark Warner held his Senate seat in 2014. But those races all dramatically undershot Republican performance, so Republicans outperformed the polls. Uh, if that would happen again, then Gillespie will win in 2017. Mm-hmm. However, there's a big difference. You have a instead of having an unpopular Democratic Democratic president in the White House, you have an unpopular Republican one, and so the undecideds. Uh, are they going to break to the Republicans this time? I'm sort of skeptical of that idea. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, for so anyway, you put it all together. Northam's the favorite. Gillespie, don't, don't be shocked if Gillespie wins, though. What does it say that both neither national party really played in this race uh, directly? <laughs> I mean, Trump never went in. That's true. Uh, I think Obama might have. Obama did show up for North. But Hillary home. never didn't. No, no. Although right. I, I wonder if Hillary's days of active campaigning may be over. Um, although you know, part of it is that I, I don't know if Northam would have seen Clinton as an asset, even though Clinton did win the state by by about five and a half points. Uh, and Gillespie has run a Trumpish campaign without Trump. without Trump. Yeah, yeah. which is yeah. interesting. I mean, it's been a mm-hmm. sort of a. a you know, what you charitably call a law and order race. There's definitely been some racially tinged um, messaging uh, in this race. And, you know, that stuff can be effective. I mean, just because something may seem distasteful doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't move voters. And, you know, Democrats have been trying to figure out an answer for this ever since the Willie Horton ad, really. And um, it's hard because uh, some of that messaging can be, can yeah. be very nasty I mean, and very effective. Some of Gillespie's ads were uh, criticized even by leading Republicans at the same time. That doesn't mean they don't work. That's right. That's right. Uh, so does it know, then it, being that close? And, you know, Democrats are notoriously bad at turning out mm-hmm. in non in midterms, but even worse. Yeah, it's in off, off your election. Yeah, off your elections. So does it really um, boil down to who does a better job of getting the vote out tomorrow? Yeah, I think that's right. And Virginia is not a heavy early vote state. Um, there has been uh, early voting and absentee voting have, have increased in this election, which sort of suggests that turnout's probably going to be a little bit better than, uh, mm-hmm. than, than 2013. You know, you're looking at somewhere between two and a quarter and two and a half million people um, voting, um, and it's probably going to be closer to that two and a half uh, million. You would think that higher turnout would be better for Democrats in this election, but that's not always the case. 
um, because it, 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 depends, it may, depends on where the turnout well, is. Well, right. If yeah, it's I mean, higher turnout in the Washington suburbs. That's right. It's probably pretty good and, for and, Northam. And right? some of the early absentee voting suggests that Northern Virginia is voting at a relatively robust pace. But, you know, keep in mind, this is not like a state like Florida where like, you know, two thirds, three quarters of the votes cast in advance of Election Day. This is an Election Day contest. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's supposed to rain tomorrow, I think. You know, you just never you just never know. So Virginia is really, I, I sort of consider it two states. Um, what's the population breakdown? I mean, and, or vote voting population so breakdown between, again, Washington suburbs and so you've rural got, Virginia? So you've got, give or take, a third or a little bit more of the vote in what you'd consider to be northern Virginia. So, you know, Fairfax County and Alexandria and Loudoun and really? Arlington. Only a third. I thought uh, it'd be the yeah, other it's, way it's around. Yeah, it's a little, a, little bit, slightly, a little bit more than that. But And, and then and that's why uh, Tom Davis, the former Republican congressman from uh, from Virginia, who's sort of a, sort of yeah. a moderate, um, he uh, he's always talks about how he has to convince uh, his fellow Republicans that, you know, a third of Virginia is New Jersey. You know that it's not it's not the Virginia that they're used to. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's huh. basically right. a sort of a cellar corridor northeastern. But the uh, rest place. of Virginia is two thirds, two thirds. So. Yeah, give, give or take. And then you've got, but Whoa. then you've got a, a breakdown of you know, like Richmond and Greater Richmond is going to vote Democratic, but then the sort of the the exurbs of Richmond are going to be heavily Republican. And then you've got Hampton Roads, where there's a lot of Democratic votes out there, and you know, a lot of African American voters in <laughs> in Hampton in, in Hampton Roads. But then you've also got like Virginia Beach, which is a um, uh, uh, you know, big city that is a um, sort of a, a lean Republican area. Um, and, you know, one benefit for Northam is Northam is from the Hampton Roads. Uh, he's actually from the eastern shore uh, of, of Virginia. And so maybe he gets a little bit of a kind of a home field advantage uh, out there that, that helps him. And then you've got what my colleague Jeff Skelly calls Rova, which is rest of Virginia oh. as opposed to Nova. <laughs> yeah. And that's like, you know, obviously like Charlottesville where UVA is and Albemarle County, those are mm-hmm. big Democratic areas. But most of that is sort of blood red west of west of Richmond, basically. So you've got, um, mm-hmm. you know, some college towns uh, like mm-hmm. Harrisonburg and, and again, Charlottesville. Uh, you've got the city of Roanoke, which is going to be Democratic. But really, the rest of it is is super duper Republican these days. You know, when Mark Warner right. won the governorship in 2001, he did really well out in Western Virginia. But, right. you know, the the political alignments have, have changed quite a bit. And New Jersey? Uh, it would be a shock if Phil Murphy, the Democrat, lost that race. And so... Uh, even if Virginia slips away from Democrats, I mean, I, I think I think Democrats have to win both governors' races to have a good night. If they lose Virginia, I think it's a disaster. But just yeah. you know, given given where the state is and, and the advantages they had in the race, but it, but it, assuming Murphy wins in New Jersey, uh, that will give uh, Democrats their I believe their seventh quote trifecta, meaning they control the governorship mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. both houses of the state legislature. The Republicans have I think twenty six, so it's pretty imbalanced in the states right now. Um, but Democrats can also get a trifecta in Washington state. I was just going to okay. go to there next. Yes. Right. There is a, a, a crucial state Senate race out in Washington state. If Democrats win it, uh, they will take the majority in the uh, state Senate. And they also have the House and the governorship. So uh, I would and it would be pretty surprising, I think, if if they lost that state Senate seat. Uh, Clinton got 65 percent of the vote in that seat. Um, now, granted, it's more Republican down the ballot, but but even still, uh, Indian American woman by the name of Manka Dinga Dingra, uh, Pramila Jayapal, the uh, re, uh, Democratic Congresswoman from that area, mm-hmm. um, is very active in this race. She and, was in studio last week telling us about it and uh, saying that her chances are very good. It's the forty fifth 
state senate uh, district in That's right. Washington yeah. state. And there are a handful of other uh, state uh, state <laughs> legislative specials across the country. Democrats have generally been outperforming Clinton in those districts, sometimes by a lot. I think the average overperformance in margin is like 10 or 11 points. So those are those are additional metrics to watch. Then you also have state legislative races in, in New Jersey and Virginia as well. Uh, the other significance about that uh, state Senate seat in uh, Washington state is that would give a trifecta in Washington state, which would join the trifectas in Oregon and California, meaning the blue wall. That's the real Those blue us, wall. That's yes. the real blue wall yeah. on the left coast that we are building and uh, uh, hopefully we'll build uh, that final block in that uh, blue wall tomorrow. And so so it seems like, you know, I mean, unless it's disaster strikes for Democrats in either Washington State or New Jersey, you're going to see that number of, of so-called trifectas go from six to eight on the Democratic side. If Gillespie were to win in Virginia, it would go from 26 to 27 on the, on the Republican side. Um, Washington, so I asked you about the fact that Donald Trump, uh, by design, did not go to Virginia to help uh, Ed Gillespie even though Ed Gillespie has borrowed a lot of tactics. This is not the Ed Gillespie running for governor today is not the Ed Gillespie that we knew under the George W. Bush days. Yeah, and I mean, you know, of course, you know? We, we associate the Bush administration, obviously, with a lot of things, but but one of the things they, they talked about trying to do was, was uh, doing some sort of big big deal on immigration reform, and, you know, Gillespie was, Gillespie was RNC chair, I think, before mm-hmm. Bush won his second term, because he and McAuliffe were both right. the chair at the same time. Um, but Gillespie in the past has sort of, um, you know, kind of decried basically some of the campaign tactics he's using now. Yeah, right. Uh, so maybe one of the reasons that Donald Trump, uh, that he didn't call Donald Trump in person to go into Virginia, the ABC Washington Post poll out over the weekend shows that Donald Trump's approval rating is now at 37 percent, 59 percent disapprove. Uh, that's the lowest of any president since 1946 and Harry Truman. Uh, 66% say Donald Trump lacks the right temperament to be president. 65% say he is not honest. And 65% say he has accomplished little or nothing during his first 10 months in office. So to what to what extent is Donald Trump a millstone around the neck of some of these Republicans? I mean, he's going to, you know, the, the, the out-of-power party is almost always you know, motivated more in the midterm election. Now, there are some demographic challenges for Democrats because the likelier voters are generally likely to be Republicans. But, you know, 2006 wasn't exactly a, a demographically great Democratic electorate. And Democrats still did great because George W. Bush was unpopular. Um, so if if, in fact, Trump's approval ratings are what they are now, you know, next year, uh, in, or you know, a, a year from now in the in in the November elections, twenty eighteen, you know, you'd expect the Democrats to do pretty well. If they don't, there's a problem with the, with the Democrats. I think yeah. because yeah. Um, you know, Trump. I mean, Democrats hate Trump. Independents don't really like Trump. Republicans are even kind of sort of lukewarm. Although his approval amongst Republicans is still generally about eighty percent, which is not that great, but that's still four out of five uh, uh, Republicans. Uh, I mean, that's the sort of those are the sort of numbers you see in a, in a wave wave kind of election. So that's there for the Democrats to to take potentially, um, but we're also a long way away. What Republicans would also say, and and maybe Gillespie will prove this, is that uh, since Trump is sort of seen as not a traditional Republican, it's maybe easier for Republican candidates to sort of quarantine Trump and do their own thing. And 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 if Gillespie does in fact do that. That will be the strategy. I mean, that's going to be the strategy anyway, but but Gillespie may be able to pull it off tomorrow. How low did Donald Trump's numbers have to go before Republicans finally say, we don't want anything to do with this 
I'd say below thirty percent because that would that that <laughs> well, would that would and, and he's at he's been pretty consistently at like thirty eight thirty nine in polling yeah, averages, which yeah. is basically right where that the new ABC poll had it. Right. Um, I think the thing that's striking about Trump though is that not necessarily the the, the approval number, but the disapproval number, because it's consistently over fifty five percent, you know, fifty fifty five percent. Um, and so, you know, you, if you look at if you look at polls so from when you're twenty percent, like twenty points underwater, um, I mean, that's when it really gets bad. Yeah, and and also the and, and this shows up across polls. People are asked, uh, do you you know is it is it do you approve or is it strongly approve or do you disapprove yeah. or strongly disapprove? And strongly disapprove is typically you know double strongly approve. So strongly disapprove can be forty forty five percent, and strongly approves only twenty twenty five percent. So even within that. Approval of Trump, there's still there's sort of some softness there, um, it, but it's just that you know Republicans uh, again four out of five generally do approve of the president. All right, so we had this little flap over the weekend about Donna Brazil and the DNC. So suddenly people are talking about uh, disarray among the Democratic Party. Donald Trump even saying that uh, that's what the DOJ ought to be investigating instead of the Russian connection. Of course, that's that, that he'd love to see that. Uh, but my question is, does this Donna Brazil story impact in any way the race in Virginia? I doubt it. I I just can't imagine that. I mean, the the people who are plugged in enough to care about it probably are going to be reliable voters anyway. I mean, you know, is it possible that that uh, you know a handful of people who like Bernie Sanders or something say, "Well, I'm not going to vote." But I mean, what's even the connection to to Ralph Northam and <laughs> and and this Donna Brazil thing? I mean, there really isn't isn't one. None. Um, and there were some some Democrats sort of joking over the weekend on Twitter that you know, like I think Tom Periello, the the guy who lost to Northam for the Democratic nomination, who is said, supporting him. Yeah, that's right. And, and yeah, fact, and and and, work, working, and working, working and working for working, him. Yeah, yeah. Um, for him. And uh, and you know, Periello said something like, "If I had a dollar for every Democrat who brought up the uh, the, the Donna Brazil story, I would have zero dollars. <laughs> yeah. My pockets so would be empty. My pockets would be empty. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the, yeah. you know, so I, many of these these elections now are whoever the Democratic candidate is versus Trump. Yeah, right. And so, if you are a person who is freaked out by what happened in the election in 2016, you're a person who is so against Donald Trump." That this is your first big chance to uh, to to let your voice be heard and make your vote count. Like this, not a Brazil story is a nothing. Yeah, I mean nothing at all. And, and you know, I guess the, the the sometimes the criticism of Northam, and if in fact he does lose, is that it, if he does lose, this will be a criticism of him that he did not explicitly yeah. make the case that you just made in a sentence. That he didn't. I mean, he has he's sort of done it, but. Um, I think that the, the, the Gillespie campaign has just been like much harder edged than Northam's has been, um, and uh, and again that doesn't mean that that Northam is going to lose or something. I you know again I, I do still think he's favored, but um, if he does if he does lose, I think there'll be a lot of sort of Monday morning quarterbacking about him being not tough enough on making the explicit Trump versus so Gillespie connection. Is, this is this is what happened with Ossoff too in Georgia. Like he didn't make it about Trump. There's, and I think that there's. I mean, you look at Trump's approval ratings. Well, think, think about what re- Republicans do or did during the Obama years. I mean, I you know I remember the the 2013 race. It was McAuliffe, Obama, McAuliffe, yeah. Obama, and you know maybe that isn't wouldn't be as effective for Democrats. I don't know with you know Trump Gillespie or whatever, but mm. um, it doesn't seem like they're being as as aggressive about it. And you know I'm sure they have their reasons why, but their reasons might not might not be good reasons. <laughs> right. So, you know. Um, you may have seen, I just uh, had 
we've talked a little bit about. But we're not far from 2018, I guess is the point. No, we're, 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 we're there, basically right? a year away today, yeah. Um, uh, I believe it's the Washington Post this morning, part of their new poll shows that looking at 2018, uh, voters are saying, yeah, we're much more inclined to vote for Democrats for the House than Republicans. Yeah, if you look at if you look at this the so-called generic ballot question, which right. di- different pollsters ask it different ways, but basically, who you're going to vote for in your local house race, and uh, you know, the Democrats were up double digits in in the ABC Washington Post one. Um, they're up double digits in some others. If you put it in an average, it's sort of between a lead of about half a dozen points to to ten or more. You know, I think that I think Democrats to feel good about winning the House would probably be consistently at that ten mark. Um, so they're not quite there yet, um, but certainly the early polling is is pretty good for them on, on the House the House question. Right. So twenty five seats what they've, is what they've got to win. Yeah. Uh, things keep going the way they are. Um, I think the house will, yeah, the house would definitely be in play. You know, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say with, you know, oh, well, they're definitely going to win the house or something. But I mean, history would show that you have an unpopular president like this. You have, you know, a generic ballot preference for Democrats that's big. The opportunity would be there. All right, you can follow Kyle on follow Kyle rather on Twitter uh, at K Condic, K O N D I K. We'll be tweeting right? a lot about Virginia results in depth uh, tomorrow. You bet. Yep. Follow that uh, tomorrow and uh, what it all means and how it turns out. Thanks, Kyle. So good to see you. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Peter. Addy Baird from Think Progress joining us next. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Indeed, uh, murder and mayhem this time uh, in uh, the little town in uh, Texas, Sutherland Springs. But fear not, Donald Trump said it had nothing to do with guns. Not at all, of course. And nothing to do with terrorism either because it was a white man this time, not a Muslim. So we don't call it terrorism. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Here we are again, uh, and a lot of denial over another mass murder, the fourth worst in the history of our country. It is on this Monday, November 6th, the Bill Press Show, starting out with that bit of sad news and the, the new week. Uh, but there's a lot of other news going on as well, including, as we've been talking, a big governor's race uh, tomorrow in Virginia and in New Jersey, a very, very key state Senate race in out in Washington State. Um, Donna Brazil shaking things up in the political sector, the former temporary chair of the DNC, saying, yes, indeed, the, the fix was in between the DNC and Hillary Clinton during the primary against Bernie Sanders and against Martin O'Malley. Uh, and Donna saying that at one time she even considered a plan B, which was dumping Hillary Clinton and replacing her with Joe Biden as if she had the authority to do that. 
so much to talk about uh, on the political front. Uh, we had to call in Addie Baird from Think Progress, political reporter, to help us sort it all out. Hi, Addie. Hey, how are you? Good. It's good to see you. It's Thanks for coming in. Yeah, nice way to start off the week, right? Yeah, no yeah. better way. There we go. We got it. <laughs> uh, so we'll jump right into it and look forward to hearing from you. As always, send us your comments on Twitter, agree or disagree, at BP Show. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. How about this Rand Paul story? This Holy is crazy. God, God. Over the weekend, Rand yeah. Paul was out mowing his lawn <laughs> when his neighbor came over and tackled him. Now, we saw that uh, Rand Paul... Another had- doctor. Uh, yeah, yeah. We saw that Rand Paul this that this had been an, that he had, an, an intruder had come to his home and attacked him, but we didn't know how bad it was. The dueling docks. Rand Paul suffered five broken ribs yeah. when the guy no, he slammed him shape. to the ground. Yeah. While, again, while he was out mowing his lawn. Uh, it, it, this is his neighbor. The man's name is Rene Boucher, and as you mentioned, he is another doctor. So. And they've known each other a long time, and I guess politically, they, nobody. He's a socialist. He, yeah. yeah, right. Apparently, <laughs> that's what they say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, who knows what that was all about, right? By the way, I think maybe we buried the lead here. Go ahead. The United States Senator out mowing his lawn. Mowing his, <laughs> mowing his lawn, yeah. Mowing his own lawn. Who was who he, another John Boehner? <laughs> I was going to say, it's straight out of the Boehner playbook. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, Jesus. Hire a gardener, right? Hire the neighborhood kid. Mow your lawn. Bill, you're a big fan of Paris. You like going to Paris. I love Paris. There's a new restaurant there in Paris that everyone says you must try next time you go. It's All open right. to the public on Friday, and it's called Au Naturel. It is a I know nudist restaurant. Yep. Oh no, really? a restaurant where clothing clothing is not optional. If you go in, you have to strip naked. It's that's like you can't just like say maybe I will, maybe I won't. If you're gonna go sit down. You're going to go in and get completely nude to eat dinner. You know what they should do? They should do a, a hybrid uh, dining in the dark restaurant and a dining in the nude restaurant. Then everybody feel comfortable. <laughs> but it's not as uncomfortable. What What's the point? Well, they're saying that, like, you know, there are I mean, people usually, who want to be naked in public, and this would allow them to do in that. In a restaurant? Look, I'm not for it. I wouldn't do it. I are don't... you allowed to put a napkin on your lap? Oh, I don't know. That's a good question. It's your appetite for a meal, and then your appetite for the... No, um... yeah, I know, no, no, but, but, but... You know, uh, what no, happens you after dinner? Yeah, my first thought when I'm choosing restaurants is not whether I'm going to be have clothes on or be well, naked. Well, I you... want to know what they're serving, how good, how many stars it has. Yeah, but you got to know what the dress kind of code food is. It is. You got to know what the dress code is. It's There's pretty, business pretty, pretty clear. Pretty I think clear it's pretty here. clear in most restaurants what the dress code <laughs> is. <laughs> yeah. Don't try walking in naked at just any restaurant. <laughs> Are the servers naked? Clothing. Oh, I don't know. I probably. I would imagine. And the what? chef? The waiters? Oh, the, the chef can't be naked. Don't though. cook no. naked. That sounds dangerous. Yeah, right. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, 27 people in a worship service at the First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs, Texas, mowed down yesterday by a crazed gunman with a, a an assault weapon, uh, an AR-15, uh, but don't think it has anything to do with guns, no, says the President of the United States. 
Uh, this is not uh, nothing to do with guns. It's all about uh, mental health, and it's too soon anyhow to talk about guns. Here we go again. The um, worst church uh, place of worship shooting in the history of the country, the worst mass murder in the history of Texas, and the fourth worst mass murder in the history of this country. But don't expect the Republicans in Congress or the President of the United States to suggest that that would um, necessitate any action at all on, on the gun safety front. Again, Donald Trump saying from Tokyo yesterday, we'll send our thoughts and prayers, but we won't do anything about it. Damn, here we go. God, I can't stand it. Uh, we're going to just let that aside and move on to the political front uh, today. Great to see you as we come to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, on Free Speech TV, coast to coast, and out in the greater Chicago area on the Progressive Voice of Chicago, WCPT. Uh, and you are missing a lot if you haven't signed up for Patreon, patreon.com, to hear our great special, The Making of Bernie Sanders, Started, as you know, in our living room, just about a block from here. Uh, we tell all about it on that special. And, Peter, how can people find out? So and, and the latest installment just up. Yeah, it's patreon.com slash show. As you mentioned, we, we put up the interview where I interviewed you about the first couple of meetings that you had at your house with Bernie Sanders. Uh, we put up the interview with Tad Devine, where he talks about the sort of the primary as it went through. And then the most recent episode is with Larry Cohen and Michael Briggs. Uh, Larry Cohen, formerly of the CWA, uh, the first labor union to come out and endorse Bernie Sanders during the primary. And then Michael Briggs, former communications director for Bernie, who talked about his time in the Senate. Michael Briggs has worked with him for a long, long time uh, and talked a little bit about, um, you know, what what brought Bernie to this point, what he worked on during the Senate, who his friends were, what his his passions were there. So anyway, you can only get it at patreon.com slash BP show. It's $5 a month is all we're asking. And we've got a couple episodes still to come out. Our interview with Nina Turner is coming out next mm -hmm. week. Or excuse me, this week. Uh, and then we're going to have a little roundtable about the impact that Bernie has had on the Democratic Party uh, coming out very soon. So go sign up. All right. At patreon.com slash BP show. BP show. Addy Baird is political reporter at Think Progress, uh, who joins us in studio on this busy uh, Monday morning. Hi, Addy. It's sure nice is. to see you. Yeah, great to be here. Um, you know, just a segue from that to uh, Bernie Sanders. Uh, Bernie going to run again in 2020? You know, I I don't know. And, and, and anyone that I've talked to, you know, close to him, uh, you know, who worked on the campaign or works for him now, it, it seems to think that... I genuinely believe them. I thought they were lying for a while that they don't know yet. But I really think they don't know. I don't think he knows. I don't think that uh, those the the um, people who work for him know. And uh, I don't think it'll be too long before he makes a decision. It's coming quicker than I think any of us realize. <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, he's up for re-election next year. Exactly. So he's got to get through that. Right. Not I mean, he... I think he'll be fine, but... You right. know, he's got to get through that, that first. That's a uh, first priority. Right. And um, he could decide before then, but he could also wait until he's reelected and then make that decision. I think he that's certainly what is making. Um, he's keeping himself active. He's traveling around the country, supporting Democratic candidates, helping raise money for progressive candidates mm -hmm. for city council, mayor, state legislature, Congress, Senate. Um, so he's he's remaining very visible he and really active, is, yeah. right? Yeah, and keeping his ideas out there. Look, 
with his single payer bill, he got 16 Democratic senators. Right, and so many to of stand those, him, so, so many of those cons- co-sponsors, I think, definitely will run. You know, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, that kind of slew of co-sponsors that he had is basically the bench for you know who's going to run and who's going to be you know potential vice presidential uh, nominees as well. Right. Yeah. So um, my point is, if he's making all the moves that a potential candidate would make, absolutely, even, absolutely, even though yeah. he hasn't made that decision. Yep. So while you're making uh, predictions, um... <laughs> <laughs> oh, not a good business. <laughs> <laughs> not these days. Good grief. Who's the next governor of Virginia? Oh man, I don't know. <laughs> don't make me play this game. <laughs> I, uh, I, I it's will. Your business. You get paid to play know, this game. I know. You're right. Not uh, by me, but I mean. By <laughs> you're welcome to pay me, Bill. Mm. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know. I will say, um, the. How's it look? I well, it looks it looks. One of the things that I think is really interesting here is that I think that you know obviously um, Virginia governors serve only one term, so every four years we're having this conversation again. Um, but I saw someone pointing out recently that whoever that that the uh, Virginia gubernatorial race doesn't predict midterms, so whoever wins, you know, historically Republican Democrat, it doesn't predict what's going to happen mm. in Congress for the following year, which is, you know, because it's always this off-year election. Right, right. So I, w- I will say um, I I personally think Gillespie is going to win. Really? I do. I think that um, I think that it's a little hopeful uh, for Democrats to to really get, get rallied about this race. I think that um, we haven't really come as far a- as we we think we have, perhaps. But, but Hillary carried Virginia by five points. What's the difference in a year? I don't. I don't really. I don't know. I think part of the difference is that Tim Kaine's not on the ticket. I think that that really makes a difference. That uh, Tim Kaine was on the ticket with her. I think also we just have. Um, I think that Trump really has. I think Twitter kind of obscures how um, successful this presidency has has been. The economy is strong. The jobs, not like jobs reports, are strong. Um, and and I personally, I think one of the things I took from this election was that um, it's easier to uh, from from Trump's election. I mean, it's it's easier maybe to as as a progressive um, expect the worst. <laughs> <laughs> and then <laughs> I, I I don't know oh. if that's a I don't know if that's a terrible yeah. way to go. Then everything's a pleasant surprise. Right. Then everything's a pleasant surprise. But I also think that you know <laughs> one of the differences between this race and Clinton's as well is that Clinton's campaign basically decided to project this sense of confidence for the entire race. Um, Northam's taken a, a very different route, um, and I think that it is perhaps a smarter way to go and maybe a safer way to go. Um, but yeah, I just want to, you know, emphasize that this race, historically, the Virginia gubernatorial race, has not historically predicted how the midterms are so going to go. Even if Northam were to lose, you're saying it would not be the end of the Democratic. It would Party. not be right. It would not be um, telling. There's there hasn't been a correlation between Democrat Republican winning in Virginia and Democrats or Republicans um, maintaining or or retaking control of of Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one thing that um, you picked up on last week uh, with his comments about so the whole Donna Brazil DNC flap starts up and yeah. uh, Donald Trump, of course, can't resist it because it's a good way uh, to talk about anything other than um, Robert Mueller and Absolutely. the Russian investigation. Absolutely. Right. Um, and um, 
he brings back one of his favorite taunts against Elizabeth Warren. Right. He called her Pocahontas on Twitter. Uh, it is an it is offensive no matter when he says it. Um, you know, I, I wrote a little bit about this and um, Native American groups and, and uh, have spoken out against this, basically, you know, highlighting the fact that for him to for her to say, I have Native American heritage and for him to immediately, you know, equate her with this over sexualized Disney princess um, is offensive. Um, and what makes this one in particular ridiculous it's always ridiculous but what makes it particularly ridiculous is that uh he said this on november 3rd um and just three days earlier he had declared november national native american heritage month (laughs) so uh the irony is rich like it often is with 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 With, trump Trump, yeah yeah but you assume that he knows what he's signing I don't know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the thing that's, right. I mean, the thing that's that's you know, I maybe some the, people do, right? Right. The proclamation for that you know when he proclaimed this National Native American uh, Native American Heritage Month, it doesn't sound like him. You know, it's clearly this sort of thing written for him that he yeah. signs off on. No, this right. is not something. He this really is not him. About. He doesn't care. It's the Pocahontas tweet. That's him. That's what he knows what he's signing off on. Remember when he used to sign those things? I don't know who does it now. That he would hold them up. He would sign them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he'd hand them to Reince Priebus, and (laughs) Reince Priebus would read them aloud, right? Because (laughs) Trump didn't know what he had just signed. Um, You'll have plenty of those Democrats coming over, and you're going to say, "No, sir, no, thank you, no, ma'am, perhaps, ma'am." It may be Pocahontas. Remember that. No, he loves doing that. That was uh, in a speech yeah. uh, in front of the NRA, by the way, back in April. Oh. Great time to talk about Elizabeth Warren. Oh, uh, yeah. <sighs> exactly. So um, yesterday, uh, Donald Trump, uh, as you no, know, the day before yesterday, he was leaving on his uh, um, Asian trip Friday morning, actually, talking uh, to reporters. Uh, his response to the news that, uh, as reported by, not re- recounted by Donald by uh, Donna Brazil in her book, right. That, in fact, uh, all those complaints from Bernie people like me that the DNC had made a deal with Hillary to take sides in the primary were actually true. You were right. Uh, We were right. Uh, So Donald Trump says that's what the Department of Justice should be investigating, right? I'm really not involved with the Justice Department. I'd like to let it run itself. But honestly, they should be looking at the Democrats. They should be looking at Podesta and all of that dishonesty. I'm really Podesta. not involved with. I'm really not involved with the Justice Department, but I'm going to direct them right here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, you know, it, I'm going to tell them what to do. Right. I, yeah. I mentioned this earlier. Like there, there was some reporting over the weekend about what Donald Trump was telling his advisors and talking about with like the Justice Department and the collusion and all this. No. Like he thought that he would be able to tell the Justice Department do this, and then they have to do it. And it's also like. Kind of telling that he doesn't understand his role. He's out there talking about the the attacker in New York must get the death penalty, which all but ensures that they that will, not will not get, get the, the death, death penalty. penalty. <laughs> He's out there over the weekend. He was tweeting about Bo Bergdahl and that he didn't get a harsh right. enough sentence and that if he had his way, he would have gotten this. Like 
he thinks he can control these things. Well, he thinks that's he, part of his job. Right. He 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 doesn't really actually have this sense of what being president is. I I right. cover healthcare policy stuff fairly often, and he I, I will never forget. He has, he's talked about how he thought he was going to get to the Oval Office on day one, and there was going to be a repeal <laughs> bill. There yeah. was going to be a mm-hmm. repeal and replace yeah. bill yeah. on his right. desk. Right. He has no sense mm-hmm. of you know what you have to actually do as the president and which things you do not control and cannot control. Yeah. Now, there's one other little factoid here that maybe he hasn't considered is that um, what uh, what happened between the DNC and the Hillary Clinton campaign, again, as recounted and I think proven conclusively by Donna Brazil, um, was unethical. I think it was dishonest. Um, it wasn't illegal. No. Right. Exactly. This is the difference uh, the, the that the DNC could make a deal with any candidate. Totally, this is the difference that you're outlining. It's a deal yeah. between. It's a fundraising deal between yeah. the Democratic, yeah. uh, the DNC, and the you know, rigged ultimately, but eventual Democratic nominee. There's nothing illegal about it. It is upsetting. It is unethical. It, viol- it violates it the is, DNC rules. Right. It violates, but <laughs> law. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So that whole thing is kind of... It's very silly. Uh, insane. <laughs> it's very but, silly. Uh, so, and, and what impact do you think that whole flap... Is it today's story? We won't be talking about it tomorrow. Do you think it'll have any long-term impact on the Democratic Party? Man, I don't know. It's it's hard because the, the sh- these shootings are kind of the perfect example of how quickly things get swallowed up in the news cycle. Yeah. I wrote something about a week and a half ago about the fact that this bump stock bill that had, you know, gained all of this seeming, you know, seemingly had this momentum after the Las Vegas shooting. Bipartisan. Yeah. Right. And it's just dead. Aides on the Hill are saying it's dead. There's right. no path forward. Um, Thank you, and Mitch it took, McConnell. Right. It took three weeks. It took three weeks for this legislation to die. It took three weeks for everyone to forget. No one was writing about it anymore. No one was pushing for this legislation anymore. I reached out to Feinstein's office. No response. There's nothing. It took three weeks. It was the worst mass shooting in modern American history. And we were just we just moved on. It's going to happen again with what happened yesterday in Texas. And I bring this up to say, I think the answer to your question is, I want to say, I think the party will learn from this. I think that, you know, they won't. I do think the distinction is that there was always a sense for years and years that Hillary Clinton was going to be the not just the, mm-hmm. the, the Democratic nominee, but the first woman president of the United States. And there isn't that kind of same coronation with, I think, any of, of this bench in the Democratic Party, whether it's, I mean, I, I certainly don't think it'll be Sanders, but whether it's, you know, Kamala Harris or Cory Booker. But at the same time, no matter how big this feels to us right now, the election is uh, a lot more than three weeks away. And apparently that's how long it takes for us to kind of let the news cycle swallow up mm. what these giant stories that feel so monumental. Um, so I don't know. I think that, I think that honestly, I think... The fact that it was Clinton is important, but I don't know if the Democrats have really learned the right le- like lessons from the election at all, you know, let alone this specific one. Well, certainly. Um, I mean, this no is, kidding. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> this is really inside baseball. It really its, is at its worst. It really right? is. I mean, yeah. I mean, I saw, I saw. Um, I found the way it was put a, a bit condescending, but I saw a New York Times reporter saying, you know, who on earth thinks that. <laughs> that this inside baseball has anything to do with the Virginia gubernatorial race. Like, for 
for a casual voter, even someone who's tapped into the news and very informed, this is super inside baseball. Uh, no, totally. Um, and it, at a time, but it, at the same time, I'd have to say, as again, being a Bernie bro and having made this argument and being ridiculed at the time, it is some small consolation sure. now that everybody knows we it were right. Be. We were right. It should be. But you know what? I don't want to fight those battles all over again. I, I really, I really, honestly, am focused on, and I think everybody should be focused. Anybody with any half a brain is is focused on 2018 and 2020. I would just say this. I think that this is sort of a you. You hear people saying often, "I don't want to relitigate the 2016 primary." I get it. I think a lot of the relitigation isn't useful, but I think that. Democrats need to look at what happened. They need to look at not only this fundraising deal, but also the platform on which Hillary Clinton ran and where she campaigned. And of course, the oh, Comey those... letter mattered. Russia and Russian intervention yeah, mattered. Yeah. No. But I... relitigating parts of the primary to no. take lessons and no. bring yeah. them into the midterms. When I say 2016, I really mean the Hillary Bernie um, battle, right? You know, and, and the parts the of way, it that were not useful. Yeah, and, and but there are important lessons. Freaking crazy that there's that Hillary writes a book blaming Bernie Sanders for her loss. I mean, right. give it, you know, get away from it. Just and shut up. And the complaint but, by Hillary people that Donna Brazil is exploiting the 2016 yeah. race to sell right. books right. is just a yeah. little yeah. ironic. But, but, but. Uh, this is why I like the, the John Allen and Amy Parnes book Shattered so much is looking at the lessons that we can learn from Precisely. the general election, There's why so we lost learn. Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Michigan. That's, those are the lessons to be learned right. moving forward. Right. You know, uh, absolutely. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, coming under a little criticism, you rise to her defense. I did. It is the <laughs> twist of the century. <laughs> um, you know, there was a New York Times column, or sorry, a, a Los Angeles Times columnist who, who wrote this op-ed the other day that honestly made some good points. He basically said, Donald Trump is lucky to have Sarah Huckabee Sanders. She's an excellent liar. She has, she doesn't, you know. Unlike Sean Spicer. Who was, who, who was hate un, lying. He was an uncomfortable liar. He was so uncomfortable. Sarah Huckabee Sanders is so comfortable oh. standing in front of the press corps every day and lying her face off. But this quote unquote progressive columnist said, uh, you know, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, he basically, the, the first couple graphs of this this um, column were him saying, like, you know, here are the women that Donald Trump loves. It's it's blonde women with long legs, you know, you know, a la the, the Fox News anchors. And he goes, he's lucky to have Sarah Huckabee Sanders, even if he would want someone who looks more like Ivanka or Melania. You know, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, he says, and I quote, looks more like a slightly chubby soccer mom. And I was just like, you can't say that. That's not like. That's not um, progressive. That's only partisan. Um, and there well, are so many reasons to. I would say partisan. It's male piggish. It's right. it's misogynistic. Right. Is yeah, what it yeah, is. Yeah. Right. And and it is. It's just leaning into <laughs> these kind of criticizing Sarah Huckabee Sanders for every possible reason, you know, hateful or valid. Um, it isn't just. It isn't helpful. Um, and. It's just baffling to me. This woman has relitigated the Civil War. She is the mouthpiece for an increasingly authoritarian regime. She uh, has called for the firing of uh, Jamel Hill. You know, there are all of these reasons to criticize Sarah Huckabee Sanders. You don't need to talk about her weight. Mm-hmm. You do not need to do she that. She suggested that that it's uh, uh, unpatriotic 
if not treasonous, to criticize John Kelly. Exactly. You can't right. debate with a four-star right. general. Yeah. Right. Let's just start with that alone. There is a yeah. litany of things to criticize. Her you know, for. like I, I read that that article, and admittedly, it's a it, like it's a throwaway line in the piece. It's but it's so unnecessary. It's so unnecessary. Yeah. And it's it's like it's not the it's not the the crux of her piece, and it's not something that that they spend a lot of time on in the piece. But like. Why even throw that in Why, there? Exactly. Why throw it in there? Yeah. So he basically, um, you know, I piled on on this and, uh, you know, several other people wrote things, tweeted things like this is so offensive and misogynistic. And he goes in and just deletes the two paragraphs where he talks about women's weight and looks. Oh, and it was boy. just like the fact that you can just go in and pull them out and it changes nothing about the column is proof that this was just unnecessarily sexist and misogynistic. And I am baffled that it got through an editing process. Yeah, it's amazing, right? It's insane. It's wild. Did he say anything about the clothes she wears? No, but there was, there's been like these, every once in a while people talk about her clothes or her, and they're like, oh, she's the most accessible woman in the White House. Again, don't talk about what she looks like. Don't talk about what she wears. Don't talk about her weight. Talk about the fact that, you know, she is exactly as comfortable as he says, standing in front of the press every day and lying. Lying. Right. Yeah. So to all of our good friends out on WCPT in Chicago, uh, the latest with the Ricketts clan. Yeah. Uh, not a big, uh, not, not, not very uh, pro-organized labor, huh? Not a pro-union family, the Ricketts. No, not at all. In September, Ricketts wrote this blog post on his personal blog, which is literally called, like, uh, joericketts.com slash blog, <laughs> which I think is very oh, funny. But it, he basically wrote this blog post about why he doesn't support organized labor, and he said it, it creates an us-against-them mentality in the workplace. He's absolutely right about that. Mm -hmm. It is yeah. us-against-them. It's us. It's he, us working stiffs versus those corporate He's worth more than $2 billion. <laughs> He left 115 people out of work last week. Um, I find it despicable. And he, so his workers wanted to unionize, right? Yes. So basically, he owns two local news sites, Gothamist and DNA Info. Uh, Gothamist has several newsrooms around the country. They all cover local news. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, they have, you know, their their New York office, which is Gothamist. They have DCist. Um, they have San Francisco. Is this the same guy who owns the Cubs? The same. This is. Okay, all right. Let's just be. He also had no, a son sure. who was considered for the Trump administration. Yes. 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 His other son They're is big Trumpers. Right. They're big Trumpers. Big Trump people. Um, so, you know, they've got uh, D.C., um, San Francisco, Chicago, uh, and New York. Um, and I think they also have uh, yeah, um, an office in Shanghai as well. Um, but basically, the New York newsroom decided that they wanted to unionize. They've been working um, to unionize for quite some time. And two weeks ago, um, the New York newsroom voted to unionize. Um, and the next week... Joe Ricketts pulled the plug. He shut everything down. Um, he shut them down. Fired them all. Everyone, everyone was fired. Whether or not they tried to unionize, it was only the it was only the journalists in in the New York newsroom who mm -hmm. uh, voted to unionize, and he pulled the plug mm -hmm. entirely. You mean um, on the entire the entire everyone? Yeah, DCist, Chicagoist, DNA Info Chicago, mm. San Francisco, uh, everything. They're all without jobs. It left 115 people out of work. Um, it's illegal to lay people off for trying to unionize, but one of the only um, legally allowable 
uh, ways to to go to kind of like shut things down is to pull the plug on the entire business. And that's exactly what he did. God. And and in this incredibly craven move, he deleted the archives of yeah. the websites. Oh, whoa. So, so all of these journalists are left yeah. without jobs and they don't have their clips to apply for new jobs. It oh, is craven. It is evil. I didn't even think about that. It is yeah, evil. Duh. Yeah, there's been some really That's nice like salt in the wound. It is absolutely salt in the moon. There in the wound. There's been some really nice people. Obviously, you know these people cover local politics, so uh, local government has been you know collecting their clips uh, via email, yeah. which right. you can right. get yeah. you know through through public records requests. And some some lovely people in local government have said, you know, come to me. We'll see if we can put together a FOIA for you to get you some of your clips. But it's just really craven. It's really really despicable and sad. I have to tell you. It's enough to make me rethink my support of the Cubs. Are you a Cubs fan? He's a bandwagon well, Cubs Well, I'm fan. glad that you asked. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, Bill is a bandwagon Cubs fan and a bandwagon Dodgers fan. Yeah. Bill! But when the Nats are not in the playoffs, what are you going to do? Just sit at home? I'm a Mets fan. You know what I do in the playoffs? <laughs> you drink. I mean, I, yeah, I sit around and I'm really sad, and I cheer for anyone. I cheer against, I cheer against the Nats, so you can cheer against anyone in the division, and then you just cheer for an AL team. You can't bandwagon. No, I'm sorry. No, no, <laughs> oh my god! No, I, I love that. that baseball season is over and we're still doing this. <laughs> yeah. No, but seriously, uh, I won't let that I, shame go. I I find it hard to believe that a team as good as the Nats would have an owner as rotten as uh, the Ricketts family. So well. You know, sports are. owners like oh yeah, around, no, no, no. like are baseball, football, the, whatever. Yes. They're, they're all terrible. Not great. They're but all terrible. They are. No, I was just going to say you could not. I could not name one that I have any respect for. I, uh, I can't. I like Packers owners. Packers owners are cool. Pa- yes. That's a good point. No, Packers that's owners an excellent are cool. point. And that's the way to go. Yeah. That is the way to go. That's Did you know even Newt Gingrich thinks that we should have publicly owned teams? I'm all for you it. You know, noted socialist Newt Gingrich. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you mean Newt finally got something right? It's like the broken clock, right? Exactly. Twice right twice a day. a day. Oh, my. Addie Bear, great to see you. Great fun. Thanks so much. Thank you, Bill. Think Progress. ThinkProgress.org. We're going to turn it over to Alana Shore from Politico. Uh, on what's happening uh, just down the street in the United States Congress coming up next. You've built one of the world's most powerful economies. I don't know if it's as good as ours. I think not. Okay? And we're going to try and keep it that way. But you'll be second. Download our podcast. Search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. All right, on this Monday, November 6th, hope you're having a good one. It is The Bill Press Show wrapping up here from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Reaching out to you thanks to the support of the American Federation of Teachers, the good men and women of the AFT. Teachers of America making a difference in our classrooms every single day under the leadership of President Randy Weingarten. Uh, we salute them, thank them for their support of the program, and welcome to the program, Alana Shore, uh, who covers Congress for um, Politico. Nice to see you, Alana. Thank you Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having in. me. 
Right. Uh, stunning news out of Kentucky. Uh, poor man is just out mowing his lawn, getting a little exercise, and I'm sure away from all the worries of the day. Senator Rand Paul. Uh, and this bizarre incident where his neighbor tackles him, throws him to the ground. What's the latest? Well, um, his folks say that he has five fractured ribs, and some of those fractures are a certain type of pretty severe fracture that makes it hard to fly. Um, so it's really anyone's guess as to when he'll be back in Washington. He's he's obviously expected to make a full recovery, but this was a pretty serious assault. Uh, was this an ongoing dispute between, over like a, a fence line or something with his neighbor? I mean... Uh, the know? details haven't come out. I mean, there's been some sketchy reporting, like, was this politically motivated because the neighbor was obviously a liberal based on social media postings. God. But again, I want to I want to be clear. Nothing yeah. has come out in terms of motive. This could be a personal dispute that had nothing to do with politics. Might have to do with a cat right? <laughs> or a barking dog. I mean, who knows? Right. True. With your neighbor. Uh, but uh, I would say um, and he's another doc. Now, doctor, he's an anesthesiologist. Yes, yes. Dr. Paul, Rand Paul, an, an ophthalmologist. True. Uh, I don't care whether he's a doctor or not. When you tackle a United States senator, that's an extra special federal charge, I would imagine. Right? I mean, there are layers on top of just a regular assault if you attack a federal employee, a federal well, official? Well, he, he was booked, at, I believe, for fourth degree assault, which is a relatively minor charge. I mean, a lot of this depends on the jurisdiction. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we shall see. It's awful, awful thing and, and our hopes oh, are for a speedy yeah, recovery for absolutely. Senator Paul. I would, yeah, you'd think Washington is not safe. You're home, you know, you figure on safe, safe ground, yeah. particularly in your home, mowing your lawn. I mean, I would, I would say, just generally speaking, as someone who spends a lot of time with lawmakers, ever since the the shooting at the baseball field, there's been this heightened sense of personal danger around a lot of these guys, and this is not going to help. No. Um, tax cuts. Rand Paul might have been a no vote on the tax cut bill anyhow, right? Yes. Um, what are, so they rolled it out on Friday finally, what are its prospects? Um, we're starting to see it look a little bit like Obamacare. Um, remember how, you know, when the House rolled out its bill, there was immediate problems with, you know, the the moderate and centrist wing there. Democrats were uniting against it. The Senate kept saying, well, like, well, we're going to have a completely different bill. So calm down. We're going to eventually force the House to swallow our bill. The Senate's version of the bill indeed is coming out this week. But much like Obamacare, people are now wondering, hey, how different will the Senate's bill really be? I mean, are mm-hmm. we really kind of looking at, you know, just like Obamacare appeal, speeding this through, pushing it through? The one difference being, you know, the Senate ha- has vowed to hold hearings. But, you know, Democrats say like, OK, well, if you're going to have a couple show hearings in one week and you didn't invite us in the room, does this even count? Um, so that's kind of what it's looking like. Right. They are going to hold hearings. In the Senate. Uh, Chairman the Hatch Senate. has said, yes. OK. Um, and another way that this looks like Obamacare is um, they are riding on the coattails of the budget bill, so therefore they'll be able to do this under reconciliation in the Senate, which means we don't need your stinking Democratic votes. We're going to do it all ourselves. Yes. I mean, Republicans are making a pretty cute and clever argument here going we're using a tactic that uh, means we don't need Democrats and can jam this through on our side, but we're we're happy to have a Democratic vote if you guys want to vote for it, to which Democrats go, really, guys? You know, this worked under, you know, the Bush administration to pass their tax cuts. Mm-hmm. 2001 and 2003, those tax cuts were passed under reconciliation with Democratic votes. 
But I mean, really, that was a century ago in politics. Yeah, right. It's not. It's not going to happen. Right. Uh, I um, had dinner with a friend, a very well-known lobbyist uh, in Washington, uh, Friday night, Saturday, Friday, whatever, uh, who said that what she's hearing from fellow lobbyists, Republican lobbyists, big-time Republican lobbyists, that this bill is dead in the water, that the business community particularly is up in arms over this bill. And I mean, one could understand uh, the real estate and mortgage industry in particular is walloped by what it does to the mortgage interest deduction. Then you have, you know, the higher education industry, which is in a way an industry that's hit that's hit hard by tuition uh, deduction changes. Um, there are a lot of sacred cows that are that are getting um, chipped away at here. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, if they don't get this done, I mean, th- I mean, this is monumental embarrassment. It, it's totally embarrassing. But I mean, I, I, but I don't understand is they they slash the business tax from thirty five down to twenty percent. So what are they complaining about? I guess this particular industries would be like let's go back. You mentioned the more uh, real estate industry, right? So they cap uh, the amount of um, mortgage the interest deduction that you're allowed yeah. to deduct right at at five hundred thousand, mm-hmm. which sounds like a lot, right? Pretty high, but. In a lot of states, it's not. It's not. Yeah, right. I mean, this this bill is really between that cap and the state and local tax deduction cap. It's yeah. really an attack on blue states trying to eke more money out of there. So that uh, where I, home you know values are higher, right? Where this state and local deduction is more valuable, right? I mean, I saw one one report that in San Jose, California, for example, ninety percent of the homes are over five hundred thousand. Yes. Now, yes. I'm sure if you go to Parts of Kansas or Texas or whatever, you know, it's not going. It's not going to be not, nowhere near that. But New York, California, Washington State, uh, Washington D.C., uh, and then there's the state and local tax, uh, which has has been a a big lifesaver, particularly for middle class families. You know, for in in states which have high t- high high local taxes or high state taxes. So if you limit it to property tax, does that solve the problem. That's what they've tried to do. I mean, with the caution that I am a longtime climate and energy reporter and not a tax reporter, I, yeah. I mean, I think that may be enough just from talking to Republicans from those delegations. But again, at bottom, this is a political calculation for these guys. They may be able to say, well, we limited the harm to the state and local tax deduction to, to justify their vote with their leaders. But it really just depends on how voters will view it and come next year, frankly. I was just thinking, do they now? They certainly they've come up with this artificial deadline, you know, uh, led by Trump. We have to have a bill through the House by Thanksgiving, and a bill through the Senate by Christmas. That that's not going to happen. Not going to happen. I, I mean, I don't necessarily believe in guarantees, but I will issue yeah. one on your show. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. No. All right. Well, that was my question. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been saying that. Every time I'm asked about it, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But I'm glad to hear you confirm that. And you're a lot closer to it than I. You're down there. I mean, again, it's 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 Obamacare deja vu all over again because the political dynamics are the same. Paul Ryan has a lot more power than Mitch McConnell over his conference. Um, He's already exerting it. I I don't doubt that he can probably jam this through by the end of the month. And then in the Senate, you have a very small group of people who have to fear being on the ballot with the president again. They mm-hmm. mostly yeah. have to fear facing voters on yeah. their own terms. So these Republicans are 
not caring too much okay. about the deadline. Now, then there's this little sticky wicket called the deficit. Uh, and these deficit hawks, which used to be the almost the synonym for Republican, maybe no longer, they're adding a trillion, one and a half trillion, two trillion to the deficit and just saying, oh, forget about it. It doesn't matter. I mean, are they really going to go along with that? Look, I mean, this is where taxes become extremely significant to the Republican Party's identity long term, because you could already argue that the populist nationalist coalition Trump built has chipped away at, at quote unquote, traditional fiscal conservatism in the GOP. And if enough Republicans go along with this kind of deficit busting tax bill, you might as well just declare the fiscal conservatism of the GOP dead. That's the thing. I mean, the the amount of time that the the Republican Party have built up this narrative that they are anti-debt, anti-deficit is going to go completely out the window. Conservative. And fiscally conservative is yeah, going to go completely right. but, out the window. Yeah, I but, totally agree. But here's where the rubber meets the road. Democrats have to figure out how to effectively communicate about that, and right. that is not happening. It's not. Right. You're right. Absolutely. All it's caps, happening. highlight, underscore. But, Democrats are not <laughs> messaging this right. well. So, still, like, we can talk about Republican problems all yeah, day long. Yeah. But still... Uh, comfort me here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. um, there have to be some principled deficit hawk Republicans left who are going to say, I don't care, Paul Ryan. I've pledged not to vote to bust the deficit. I'm not going to do it. Right? Are there? I, I mean, pledge look, look not. Look on the budget bill. He only pl- got a pledge 22- not to vote is not their style, but you have uh, Bob Corker and James Langford in the past five days alone who've said that. Yeah. But they're not going to go and say, I pledge not to vote. No. It's more like they're trying to send a message to stop this train from yeah. going off I mean, the Langford did say he's a no. If it adds to the deficit. If it adds to the deficit. There's always caveats. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, if the House bill comes up in the Senate, Corker and Langford are no's. Right. I mean, uh, Ryan, uh, with all his control over his caucus, he got the budget bill passed, what, 216 to 212. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, there were a lot of Republican desertions on that on that vote. There were. I mean, that that's not exactly a show of overwhelming strength. There were. Yeah. Right. Uh, so my question about whether or not they could get this done by the end of the year, uh, again, this is not my territory, but if they don't, do they have to start from scratch or can they just roll this over and resume the debate once they come back in January? This is not the end of the term, correct? So the bill is still alive. That's my question. Um, sure. The reconciliation instructions question. is what we call them that were inserted in the budget. Uh, and these instructions basically give them that power to uh, circumvent a Senate filibuster. Mm-hmm. They last for the whole fiscal year. Okay, That's what oh. allowed um, the GOP to take so many bites at the Obamacare apple before their clock ran out. Yeah. Okay. So and the fiscal year would end? End of September. Next year. Mm-hmm. Okay. So so this this little game that they're playing can continue. But then, of course, they run into something called midterm elections. Yes. Which I mean, but again, could I, be an issue. you told me to comfort you, but again, Democrats are not talking <laughs> effectively about yeah. this. So I, I don't think anything would stop them from trying again and again and again, just like they did before. And just like they did with Obamacare, uh, which raises the final question on this, because I wanted to ask you about something else, too, is um, Donald Trump keeps insisting he wants the repeal of the individual mandate as part. He, he wants to drag the repeal Obamacare fight back into and make it part of this tax cut plan. 
And that would be such a Hanukkah gift to, to Chuck Schumer. You have no idea. He's like, please put the individual mandate back in there. Please do it. Yeah. I mean, it, it can't become law. There that, are not votes in the Senate to do that. That would be a killer deal. Yes. Yeah. Um, do you know if the uh, uh, Lamar Alexander, Patty Murray bill, bipartisan bill to fix Obamacare to, 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 with the subsidies and allow them to continue, at least to provide some stability in the market for a couple of years, is still going forward? I mean, they had 48 Democratic sponsors, I think. Yeah, define going forward, though, because, I I mean, it will definitely be a part of of the year-end discussions, but... I do see it happening. We're we're about a month out from a serious shutdown threat at this juncture between the unresolved issues over Obamacare, uh, the fact that you have a bunch of liberal Democrats now saying they won't vote for a government funding bill without a fix for Dreamers, but Republican leaders say we can wait until January. Um... It's bad. What's the deadline? December 8th is when funding runs out. <laughs> Here we go again. Jesus. How many times do we get up to this break and then, right? <laughs> but if they did put that, try to shoehorn or hammer in or force in that, uh, the repeal of the uh, individual mandate, that would that would kill the Oh, debt. that's a killer in the Senate. Killer. Yeah, right. Uh, so you mentioned that your specialty is a climate change. Um, a little surprise coming out of the Trump White House, where um, 13, is it, I believe, federal agencies, this report released by the Trump White House says that, that report says that climate change is a serious matter, that human activity is the main cause of it, and we've got to do something about it. How did this get out of the Trump White House? I wouldn't read too much into this because this is something career scientists do. I mean, it was definitely it would have been a much bigger story if political concerns had stopped this report from coming out. Let's mm. put it that way. I mean, there's only so far uh, the Trump administration can go in terms of stifling kind of career scientists when they release reports like these, which which are somewhat standard. I mean, it's it's absolutely worth noting. But to describe this as any kind of policy shift on behalf of the political appointees, I think, would be incorrect. Is this the deep state? <laughs> <laughs> I still don't know what that means, but but I guess it is. It's sort of a blanket term that like it's like fake yeah. news. It's any news that they don't like, they just call fake news. If something comes out of the administration that Donald Trump didn't have total control over, they just say, eh, it's the deep state. Right, right. Actually, you're right. I, I guess deep state is a synonym for career scientists and other yeah, officials, right? Yeah, right? Who like of. are not doing these loyalty pledges or well, whatever. It's, it's the old thing, you know, that the president changes, uh, the legislators changes, but the workers, the, the federal workers, uh, people in these agencies who have these career jobs, they just keep plugging on, you know, day in and day out and doing Absolutely. their job. Absolutely. Uh, and this gets back, Peter, something you've mentioned a couple of times this morning is that there, there were stories, I'm sure you saw over the weekend, where Donald Trump really thinks that he's got this, as president, he can give orders to anybody anywhere to violate any law, any policy, and and they have to f- follow it, his orders, like automatically. And now he still believes that and he still talks like that. But what we see in, in agency after agency is they just ignore him. Uh, the classic case is General Mattis with the transgender ban. Yeah. yeah. So Trump tweeted it out and Mattis basically said, all right, that's a tweet. VFD, right? Same thing with Jeff Sessions, uh, to Donald Trump saying he shouldn't be investigating the DNC and Donna Brazil and Hillary Clinton's deal. 
You can't order the Justice Department to do that. And the Justice Department There was a great piece that my paper did, and it was somebody on our White House team. I know, here I am plugging Politico, but we're talking about February, soon after he took office. I I keep thinking about it. One of our White House reporters, uh, the lead was basically, you know, Donald Trump has shown through his actions and will continue to show that so much of our modern presidency is based on norms and not laws. Because all he does is flout norms, and he's literally just betting that the public is going to go like, I guess that's weird. I mean, those tweets do seem kind of belligerent, but... Because there's no law against doing this. A- any of what he's been doing. It's just norms. It's just the way it's been before. Yeah. And Donald right. Trump, he doesn't care. That's his entire brand. Now, I'm not saying he hasn't done a lot of damage because he has. I mean, some of these executive orders do have uh, power right behind them and agencies have to follow through. If it's if it's a signed executive order, somebody else could undo it. But while he's in office... But still, a lot of this where it's, come, where it's just tweeting or his statements, like saying the DOJ ought to be investigating the DNC, I mean, it's fine. It I mean, it's nothing. Where it becomes so, really significant in the case of that DOJ tweet is the, is the number of conservatives who are now starting this whole fire Mueller appoint a second special counsel business. Like it, it emboldens his base. Right. I think that's probably the most but lasting. That's all it does. Yeah. Meanwhile, Mueller just keeps dropping the indictments. And as we learned... Michael Flynn and Michael Flynn's son may be next sooner than we think, according to the Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got the goods on both of them. And uh, worth repeating, I mentioned it earlier, that the Washington Post reports today, front page, that there are now a total of nine that you can identify, nine people very in and around the Trump campaign, including Jared Kushner, Michael Flynn, Jeff Sessions, nine who had direct contacts with the Russians during the during the campaign, while Donald Trump still insists, nobody did, not one person. Yeah, so. You want to know what I, I, I think uh, was a really undercovered thing this weekend? Lindsey Graham came out on television and said, I think Jeff Sessions should be hauled back to testify about Russia. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, very, very slowly but surely, people are realizing that the AG is, is in trouble here based on his past statements. Uh, yes. And in fact, Senator Dianne Feinstein uh, was asked about that also. I think she was on Meet, one of the Sunday shows at any rate. Uh, and she said, yes, um, the, the, we want the attorney general back. Uh, and this time he'd better do a better job of answering the questions. He's got to narrow his recollections. And when he comes before the committee again, he has to be precise and it has to be accurate. I like that. He has to narrow his recollections. <laughs> uh, that could be translated in many ways. One way would be not stop telling so many lies. Well, uh, I mean, here's the thing. About not talking to Kislyak, about yeah. da-da-da, whatever. I, I mean, technically, Sessions has not lied. He's very technical about these things. It's really more of an extremely artful evasion. Yeah. He said, I didn't talk to him when I was wearing my campaign advisor hat. No, I talked to him where I was wearing my senator hat. Wait, I haven't heard you drop your Jeff Sessions impression yet. That's that's good. I like, I like that. That's pretty damn no, good, you do Bill. the best Jeff Sessions, Beauregard Sessions. I'll let you have it, man. I'll let you have it. But that whole idea about which hat he was wearing when he had which conversation. I, mean, I like it. It's a little more subtle than Kate McKinnon's. I think she's a little over the top. Yeah, I like yeah, yours. Yeah, yeah, she strikes yeah. the right yeah. balance. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, back to this climate change report. So what, I mean, th- it is stunning to me that this thing got out. Um, it, does it mean that they're having second thoughts about Paris? 
Absolutely not. Yeah, no, I would. Oh. I would yeah. I wish. Yeah, oh. that's what I meant when I said like these are career scientists. They don't yeah. control anything when it comes to the top level decision making. But one could still say that an official Trump administration report confirms the reality, the danger, the need for action regarding climate change. I mean, it's, it's very similar uh, to the intelligence community's report that said Russia interfered in the election and the president That's still comes out and say point. it's a Democratic hoax. I mean. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that was our 17 intelligence agencies uh, under this. So this is just one more example, I think, of the career folks working on issues, putting out facts that the president does or does not have to associate himself with. Right. Um, Washington Post, uh, I mean, the yeah, Washington Post and ABC News over the weekend, yesterday, actually releasing uh, their uh, latest poll, uh, public opinion poll on Donald Trump. Uh, he is rocking and rolling with a 37% approval rating, uh, which is the lowest for any president since 1946. 59% actually uh, disapprove, so more than 20 percent more disapprove rather than approve of the job he's doing. Um, 65% say he has accomplished little or nothing in his first uh, 10 months. 65% say he is not honest or trustworthy. And 66% say he lacks the right temperament to be president. How long can he survive and how long before, how long does low does it have to go before Republicans running for re-election to the House or to the Senate, just say, I don't want anything to do with this guy. My counter to that is how long can Democrats keep fighting over 2016? That's exactly how long it can last. No, this is not 2016. Uh, this is my point here, though, is going into 2018. I think in order, in order for Trump's flaws to really come back and hurt Republicans, Democrats have to display the kind of unity that will sort of keep them on a track to a decent message that they don't have. You don't think people know about these numbers? Um, I, I mean, I think people know about these numbers. I, I think... Uh, Disapproving of the president's temperament is a lot different than a voting for a Democrat you in think a swing he's district. A help, help or a hurt to Republicans. I mean, the Democrats have to get their stuff together. I don't disagree with you, but is he a help or a hurt to Republicans in 2018? I, it honestly depends on the district. I really yeah, do believe that. Overall. Yeah. Okay. All right, Alana, great job uh, for Politico. Thank you so much for coming in. Politico.com. Monday's all yours, folks. This Make the most of it. We'll see you Bill tomorrow. Press show.